podcast. My name is Vladimir Bosanek, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike McPhee. Mike, say hi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. This is a podcast where we're going to talk about sports, business, the business of sport, and everything in between. We'll address news, we'll talk about what's interesting, and we'll put our unique spin and analysis on it. Yeah, eventually we're going to interview some interesting people as well, and we're going to make sure this is fun and informative for everyone. A little bit about us as we get going here. We're two great friends, also dads. We've both worked for some interesting companies over the years, and most importantly, uh, college athletes. And so our stories are going to focus on the intersection of all of those experiences. Absolutely. And that's right, Vlad. We're going to bring this to you from Mobile Studios as well. It's all the rage. Vlad's checking in from Seattle, the Jet City, and I'm in the Rocky Mountain City, the mile-high city known as Denver. But we have a global sports perspective, and we're going to talk about all the sports out there, everything that we see that's interesting, and we hope you'll join us each and every week as we journal the globe and talk sports and business. All right, Vlad, you ready? Let's go. Mike, we're back. We're back. Episode seven. Yes, it is. Episode what do you seven. think? What do you think? You know, it's it's just, it's going quickly. This is fun. We're at number seven. <laughs> yes. I like today's got a new little wrinkle to it too. Yes, today we have a new little wrinkle. Yes, we have a we have an interview today with uh, with a very with a very special person. So we're going to announce that uh, in a second. Absolutely. But uh, we've got some of the, you know, the usual particulars. So folks that are looking for speed round and and come on, man, they're still going to get that because I'm sure that those are nice little ones for folks. Yep. Yep. All right, Vlad, in today's show, we're going to we're going to talk about a couple things in speed round. We're going to just do a quick update on on CU Boulder and that betting deal that they'd signed. Um, then we're going to touch upon the memorabilia trading. It's really just shot off like a moonshot through this pandemic. Vlad, then another speed round, you're going to take us through some of the basketball bubbles and some status around what's happening at the professional level. Then rather than top story, as we said, we're going to have an, an interview in there, and, and we'll introduce that here momentarily, and we will wrap with our Come On Man. I think it's yours again this week. So you yep. ready to get started here, Vlad? Yeah, let's go. All righty. Well, let's get back to a story we we shared a couple weeks ago where we'd highlighted that CU Boulder – the Colorado Buffaloes were the first team in the country to sign an agreement with a gambling company. Yeah. Show back, we talked about that's a really slippery slope where gambling and sports are becoming more and more tightly wed and yep. uh, wondered aloud what the impact is on families, on children, on college athletes, on college students, the whole, all those different stakeholders. Well, Vlad, uh, some more details have emerged, and I don't find them very flattering, and, and we'll just go quickly on this. But first one, what that, that I saw was that for fans that view a, a commercial on a ball game or that, that have some type of referral code and they sign up with points bet, CU Boulder is going to get 30 bucks a new account. Um, referral fee, essentially, or, or finder's fee, fee or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, finder's fee. Um, yeah. And found that to be an interesting deal. So they've got upside as they're as they work through exposing, you know, their fans to to points bet. Um and then and, second, and, and not just fans, but likely alumni too, right? That's right. That's right. Um, you know, students. Um, you know, this is this is where it begins to break down for me too, Mike. Yeah. And then and then the particulars that we expected to see came out where it's they've got a number of commercials that they're gonna have. They're gonna have thirty second spots, they're gonna have on court signage, in stadium signage. 
the whole shebang. So it's it's not just um, a a silent agreement here. This thing looks like it's going to be a prominent agreement, and um, I don't think it's flattering for for CU Boulder and and the direction in NCAA. And um, we'll talk more as other deals probably start to surface across the country. Yeah, I'm with you on this one, Mike. I I was really I was really surprised, and it's a little bit troubling to be honest with you. More than a little bit troubling, it's very troubling. Um, the main reason is number one, uh, the school is getting based on the contract that's come out. It's only getting something like 1.6 million dollars for this deal, which doesn't sound like a lot of money over like five years or something. So it's not even a big upfront. Yeah. Yeah. I now I wasn't sure whether that's an annual amount or or mm. over five years, but but even if it's an annual amount, it still doesn't. Let's assume, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's an annual amount. It's it's still not that big of a of of a of a nut. If well, I mean you know it's all relative, but my point is it's not like a huge amount of money. Um, and then a $30 referral fee, you can basically see that the university becomes sort of a, you know, a, you know, a salesperson for this organization. That's right. And That's again, right. you know, I, you know, this normalizes gambling, it normalizes betting. You know, there's a, there's a very unfortunate case with Robinhood, the trading platform, which, you know, unfortunately recently had an, um, had an episode where one of its younger, Customers committed suicide. He was so over leveraged, some to you know to to the order of like seven hundred thousand dollars. And and I can see you know more of things like this happening. Yeah. As I've said in our show, Mike, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you know I have a family member who is right. you know having a hard time with this. Um, this is this is not good. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're not fans here, and I think we're just at the tip of this iceberg here, Vlad. And that's that's an unfortunate reality. So, so with that, didn't mean to start on a somber note, uh, but uh, <laughs> but just wanted to just keep current and share as things evolve. All right. So um, let's let's move on to story number two. Uh, take it up a note here. Take it up a note. Um, another one. This one. This one takes me a little bit back to my childhood, Vlad. And and I'd be curious to hear if if this translates to you know your childhood in, in Europe, but. You know, folks my age grew up with baseball cards, football cards. Yep. You played different games with them. And over the pandemic, there's been a series of stories where trading cards and sports memorabilia have have, have shot off. They've, they've just folks are reengaging with with that that hobby, if you will. Yeah, I yeah. got to believe it's our generation. I haven't seen demographics, but it's probably our generation finding some things and, and feeling nostalgic. Um, but the thing that yeah, caught or, my eye, or also just finding assets that you know retain value, right? Yeah, that could be another thing. Yeah, right? the the thing that caught my eye was a new platform that's emerged called Rally, and Rally has raised uh, had had a recent raise of seventeen million for for uh, you know of of money that they've raised, and one of the backers was the Reddit founder, and uh, that's Alexis Ohanian, who is the husband of Serena Williams. So okay. <laughs> certainly this thing's got rappers all around in, in, in sports. But what this what this platform does, I found it unique and just thought we'd we'd spotlight this for a second. And that is that it it basically create uh, creates shares into an asset. So take for example like Ty Cobb baseball card from nineteen 
whenever, whenever he played, 1925, whenever he played. And now people across the country can buy shares in that card and they can, if that card is sold at some higher amount, then they get a payout at some higher amount. It's just effectively creating a marketplace for this. Interesting. And whereas yeah. traditionally it's been only the holder of the card has right, right. the access to that appreciation. So um, so I just found that to be super interesting. And, and it it is the latest innovation in an industry that probably hasn't, once they started selling things online on eBay, you still had your sports memorabilia shops on Main Street USA. Yeah, and then yeah. you had your trade shows, which when we can't do trade shows. They're probably not drawing a lot of traffic on their little pop, pop-up shops on, on Main Street. Yeah. And then eBay is, eBay. eBay is a big player. It's a also. big player too. And they're probably yeah. doing growing like crazy in this category through this yeah. pandemic. But found that this rally app was an interesting angle, democratizes it even more, creates new value for players. And um, just thought we'd uh, spotlight it for a second. Does does this resonate with you too? It is it is interesting. Uh, it's a it's a very clever way to uh, do that and I and I and I wonder, you know, where it's gonna take them. Um, but I, but I salute the um, you know innovation in it actually, and and Mike, as you know, my days at Georgetown actually there there is some evidence of that because there are cards on eBay that you can buy oh, yeah? with my name, image, and likeness. <laughs> there you go. So I I believe they used to be somewhere on the order of twenty five cents, and I recently looked up my my freshman year card is actually a dollar thirty four. Skyrocketing! Uh, I, hey, Almost I'm going I'm going crazy! I'm going crazy! And um, <laughs> not only that, my sophomore year card is one thirty nine. So oh there's a, there's a little bit of a premium. <laughs> oh my! There's a little bit of a premium. So um, they don't have anything else here. I don't know where my junior and senior cards are, but but at least for those two, well, um, you know that's that was sort of funny and interesting. Yeah, I I might do some research then because if we get that onto the rally platform and start selling, you know, fractional shares of that, then many can can ride that appreciation wave. What do you think? I think so. I think so. <laughs> Maybe we should ride the value of my car to like two dollars, and then yeah. just go nuts. Go nuts. <laughs> Come on, you're 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 not even a penny stock anymore. You know, you're you're now over a buck. That's right. So that's good, Vlad. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I I thought that's fun. Took me back to my roots as a kid, uh, messing with with uh, with sports cards, and uh, just kind of a final comment. I'm sure so many out there. Uh, lost their 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 box of trading cards when they went off to college or something to that effect. Where their parents were like, well, "Let's get this out of the attic," you know. Yeah. And, um, not much value in those cards because they're probably all crinkled and things. And everything had to be in mint condition. But mom, I know in the mom listener got rid crowd, of that box as as soon as totally. <laughs> as soon I know as you in the left, listeners, right? almost nobody can tell you when they got lost their card box. Right. Right. It's right. So yeah. long ago, but uh, fun little angle here, Vlad. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Uh, hey, I'm going to take us down to the uh, NBA and WNBA finals. So both are happening at the moment. Uh, we have some interesting updates on the NBA finals. Um, Miami Heat is back in it. So they were down 0-2, and now it's uh, you know 2-1. Yep. The Lakers are leading the series, but Miami looked really, really strong. So yes, that's that's going to be a, 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 you know, a, a fun a fun series. By the time this episode shows up, you know, there's going to be, you know, one or two more games, but um, it'll be, you know, I think again, the NBA has done a decent job presenting themselves and, and doing, doing some good stuff. 
Also, the WNBA, like I said, is in its finals too, and uh, our our my hometown team, the Seattle Storm, is uh, yep. leading two zero against the uh, Las Vegas team, and they're they're looking to potentially you know do a do a sweep if they win tonight on Tuesday. We're taping this on Tuesday. They they win their fourth championship, which will be which will be exciting. And also, kudos to WNBA. Um, I know they're affiliated with the NBA, obviously, but. Another bubble success. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not playing in Orlando. They were they were playing at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, yes. Florida. Yes, just down the street, essentially. Um, but they've they've done some really good stuff, also. That's cool. Mike, thoughts? Yeah, you know, uh, just NBA. Glad it's going to be a series now, two one. Uh, Jimmy Butler, outstanding game. Let's say uh, this little um, foreshadowing. He was highly caffeinated as he played so well. Um, as he was, uh, he filled up We're gonna that We're going to come statue. back to this. We're going to come back to this. Indeed, indeed. Uh, NBA, WNBA looks like that might sweep. And gosh, I found an interesting wrinkle in there for, for folks of our listeners are likely in our generation here. Sue Bird, the star of your Seattle Storm, will be yeah. 40 next week. Yeah. Good Whew. on her. Good it on could her, be her right? fourth title. I think she's probably been there for all of them, right? So. That that's remarkable, and then yeah, another yeah. bubble success. So yep. they're both going to wrap up in this next week, no matter how those go. If those get, go through five on the women's, or if it goes seven, that's got only a week or two left, and that'll be yeah, hopefully just a, a great conclusion. Exactly. No, it should be good. Should be good. All right. So uh, instead of our top story today, uh, we actually have a chance to speak with Richard Brand. So we're gonna we're gonna come back. When we come back, we're gonna showcase an interview that, that we held with him um, earlier. Uh, he's the managing partner at the law firm R and Fox, also the uh, managing managing partner of the firm's San Francisco office. Um, he is one of the preeminent, if not the preeminent, attorney in the country dealing with arena and sports venue naming rights and sponsorships. And we'll speak with him about how this world is changing during COVID and what it may look like in the future. So when we come back, we're going to have our chat with Richard. Mike and I really enjoy doing the Pot and Point podcast, and we hope that you like listening to us gab about our favorite subjects, sports and business. We hope that you also learn something from our experiences and that we bring to the forefront important news about the industries that in many ways shape our lives each day. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends, family members, and colleagues about it. Write a review and let us know what you think about our work and how we can make it better. You can also suggest stories that we should be picking up. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for your time and thank you for letting us know how we can be on point even more. Richard, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Doing well, doing well. How are you doing? Fabulous. Friday's always a good day. Yeah, yes, it <laughs> Happy is. Happy Friday. Where, where do except, we... Except when it's not. Um, yeah, except when it's, right. It, except when somebody schedules meetings at 3 p.m., right? Or 4 yeah. p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> or even a podcast. Or even a but, podcast, yeah. that's right. But all good. That's right. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. We're very excited to hear from you and uh, talk a little bit about your work and um, what you do and how you do it. So um, as uh, kind of an introduction, would you would you mind sort of for our audience just giving us a little bit of a, of a background, you know, who you are, what your firm does, and, you know, how you're involved in this uh, whole sports world? I'm happy to. It, it's actually very dangerous to ever offer a lawyer an opportunity to do that. Um, <laughs> I hope you have. I hope you have some extra tape, um, uh, and I hope you have the rest of the afternoon available. Um, I'm a partner at the law firm of Eric Fox, 
Um, I'll take a quick second to give everybody my history. Um, prior to Eric Fox, I went to law school. So that should give you a sense of uh, how much I move around. I've been wow. around Fox yeah, 36 years, actually. I wow. just celebrated my anniversary, which means for 36 years, I've been trying to go somewhere and been unable to find anywhere to go to. Um, but so, so I'm an Aaron Fox. They call me a lifer. Um, I'm the managing partner of our San Francisco office and the chair of our sports practice. I practiced in D.C. for 30 years before I moved out to the West Coast or Best Coast, however you want to look at it, to open up our office. Um, I started with six attorneys in my office. We're now uh, over 30, 30 attorneys. Um, I do. Uh, I started in real estate. That was my area of expertise. And then probably in 1995, I broke into the sports world by doing a lot of work for the Miami, for the uh, MCI Center and the Washington Bullets and the Washington Capitals. Yeah. Um, and from there, the practice has built up uh, considerably. And I'd still say about half, maybe a third of my work is still real estate and two thirds uh, is sports related transactions. But as you know, Vlad, we've talked about it. Sports related transactions are to a reasonable extent real estate anyway. So I guess in the end, I'm still a real estate lawyer. I just happen to be the real estate lawyer for large arenas and stadiums and sports teams that play in them. Uh, but so, you know, never been that far from real estate. Yeah. My practice is, my practice is very broad. I represent, oh my goodness, 25, 30 different teams over the years. The, from, wow. I'm just looking at a list, the Atlanta Hawks, Nets, Hornets, Cavaliers, DC United, Inter Milan, Galaxy, Kings, Lakers, Rams, uh, probably about another two dozen more. Wow. And I do pretty... And, and, and my transaction, I'd say my practice could best be described. Uh, it's a technical legal term, but I think anyone who's listening will understand it. I do stuff. I do. <laughs> right. write, write that down. I do technical a, a, term. a technical term. I could explain it, but you could also Google it. Um, whatever I do, it, you know, whatever is transactional in nature, sports related in nature, I do that. Um, I've developed a pretty big specialty, I'd say, in sponsorship and naming rights, uh, but I do do other things. In fact, I kid people. I've done lots of different deals, but I almost feel like Joey on Friends. I've been specialized so much that people think that you know I'm a naming rights and sponsorship transaction guy only. And it's a great thing when somebody's looking for a naming rights and sponsorship lawyer, not so great when they're looking for something else. But I do pretty much anything that you could think of. Uh, from construction work to licensing yep. to uh, naming rights, you name it, I do it. Um, in the naming rights field, I've been quite fortunate. Um, I'd say I probably worked on, uh, not to be presumptuous, but most of the big naming rights deals in sports. Um, you know, I've done five of the last six NFL stadium deals. I've done Mercedes Benz, Hard Rock, CenturyLink, Barclays, Levi's. Um, I just did the SoFi deal okay. for the SoFi Stadium. So a whole bunch of those things, plus a lot of major sponsorships. So that's pretty much the type of stuff I do. My sports practice, my firm sports practice is even broader than that. Um, if it's anything to do with sports, we do it. We're about 20, 25 people uh, in the firm. And literally from, you know, sweet licensing to concession agreements, to financings, to acquisitions and you name it, I do it. Yep. Um, so that's my practice. Um, are we out of time? 
<laughs> no, no. We have a few more questions. We have a few more questions. Okay. So, so um, Richard, uh, you've been in it, sounds like, for, for, for a while. And like any other in- industry, this one, too, I'm sure, has been evolving over the last decade or you know, a couple of decades. C- can you point to some you know, trends that maybe uh, over the last decade would you know, characterize this, this work and kind of how it's, how it's, how it's evolved? Absolutely. Um, and, and again, for purposes of this, I'll focus probably more on the revenue generating portion of it, which would be sponsorships, naming rights, suite licensing, advertising, yep. and things like that, although there certainly are other things. And I would say from the very first naming rights I, deal I did, which I'm embarrassed to admit because it shows tremendous age, was the naming rights deal for MCI Center in 1995. From that one, to say SoFi Stadium in the Google transaction I did for SoFi, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there's been a huge change in what is done. In 95, honestly, it was about, uh, back to my favorite word, stuff. Autograph, basketballs, great seats, bobbleheads, all the good stuff that all the people in the company were able to get and to use. They cared about the seats. They cared about the suite location. And yeah, some of that other promotional stuff was certainly a really good thing to have. Uh, but over the years, I think uh, starting with that, the Great Recession, um, I think there's been a change in focus. And that focus is that they want the naming rights or sponsorship deals to make good business sense. Yeah. It's not just about autographs. Um, and I, I remember this started back in the Great Recession when um, there was the huge City Field Bank, which was four hundred, I think four hundred million dollars, which at that time was tied with Barclays Center for the largest, and this was during the recessions. And one of the, uh, uh, I think it was someone in the New York State Representative House of Representatives or whatever the body was, had a bill and he wanted to change the name City Field to Taxpayers Field, <laughs> meaning <laughs> <laughs> meaning that everybody's paying all that yeah. money and it's really our tax money. Yeah. Since that time, people started thinking, okay, let's get serious. And so you've seen a lot of B2B, business-to-business thing. Now it's about procurement, revenue generation, and more importantly, about promotions that make good business sense. Um, an example... Take Golden One. I did the Golden One Center deal for Golden One Credit Union. So they had a promotion where anybody who was a member of Golden One uh, of, of Golden One Credit Union would get a discount on tickets and on food, and they would get automatic entry into the Fast Pass lane. Right now, that so that drives people. Why wouldn't you become a member of Golden One Credit Union? And so it drives people to do that. And so it's more than eyeballs and signage. And since that time, it's gotten even bigger. The tech companies want some procurement rights and exclusivity. And really, everybody is much more focused on getting something for their business more than just, you know, advertising and promotion. That's been the biggest change, guys. And one other thing I'd say is since that time, uh, now if you want to say with COVID, has there been a change? Yeah, Under COVID, there's been a big change. And what COVID has done, unfortunately, is there's an emphasis on making sure that what you pay is aligned with what you get. Yeah, right. Uh, Because under under COVID, you know, it's not quite so clear. So, but I believe, uh, fingers crossed, that COVID is a short-term situation. I've been saying it for six months. I'm hoping that I was right then and I'm right now. But for now, I think people are just holding it back and waiting 
to the time when they can sort of go into that suite or seat that they paid all that money for. Yeah. And and this might be a super obvious question, but, you know, Richard, just for the benefit of our audience, you know, what, what are some of the reasons, what are some of the benefits uh, for, you know, rights holder and a sponsor to enter in a naming rights agreement, right? How how do they justify this from a financial point of view and what what, what does it bring bring to them? And again, I know this might be obvious to you, but, but just a little bit of a primer on that would be, would be very useful. Of course. There's two sides of the table, of course. You've got the rights holder and you've got the sponsor. Um, not surprisingly, what do the rights holders want more than anything? Well, uh, pretty obvious, right? They want money, okay? They want to get revenue. Uh, what you get from naming rights deals and sponsorships is something called COI, Contractually Obligated Income. The lenders like it. People like to get it. What it means, it's a long-term right to receive uh, to receive revenues. So that's clearly an important thing for the rights holder. Yeah, is, sure. it the o- is it the only important thing? No, but it's pretty important. They also want to have alignment with you know well-received brands. They want to enhance the perception of the stadium. SoFi Stadium being a good example of that. They want to align with partners that they think are going to have a good perception out there. Although money is often an important driver, they're not going to enter into a sponsorship agreement with some you know, terrorist organization or some awful organization with a terrible reputation, um, unless it was a couple of billion dollars in which they <laughs> see, my, see my first point. Yeah. So that's easy. That's what rights holders want. And yeah. that's fine. So why do sponsors do it? Okay, for lots of different reasons. Part of it is the brand enhancement. You know, they want to get their brand known. Uh, I think of one of the first big deals I did was Barclays Center, and why did they sponsor the, uh, the the Nets Arena in Brooklyn? Because they were just breaking into the United States. They were a foreign bank, and they wanted people to know that they're in that business. What better way to do that? is to get naming rights in, you know, in New York City, in Brooklyn. So that was a good reason. I did the Mercedes deal for Mercedes, uh, their stadium in Atlanta. What was a good reason for them to do that? Well, they were relocating to uh, the Atlanta area. So that's a nice way to make a splash. And by the way, conversely, why would the Falcons want to do a deal with them? Uh, when you have a naming rights par- partner like Mercedes, that conveys a certain perception of I mean, what do you think of when you think of a Mercedes? You think sure. of yeah. top, top premium value. What a perfect reputation. So the sponsors do want to get the brand enhancement. And as I said, they also want to get business to business revenue generation. You know, if they're a tech provider, if they're an LG or a Samsung, they want you to buy some of their stuff. If they're a producer of consumer electronics, they want you to use that stuff. So that's in it for the sponsors. And then, of course, there's the name recognition and the association um, with the team and with the stadium. Uh, Nobody wants to be associated with a bad name or a bad team or a bad stadium. And when I say bad, I don't mean game to game bad or season to season. I'm talking about a team or a stadium that has a very bad reputation, which is why reputation is important, because they want people when they think of the name of that stadium they want people to think good things as opposed to, oh, my God, I can't believe they're working with that, that team or stadium. So those are the interests that both of those sides tend to want. And, and they usually go together. And again, money is a driver, but it's not the only driver. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. 
Richard, it's so interesting how, you know, 20 years ago it was about the swag, and now it's about uh, making business sense, and I'm sure they're using data to back that up as they're studying that space, right? But I want to take a, a, this a little bit of a different way, and that is across the professional sports landscape. Then I want to ask you something about the college sports landscape. And just when you hone in on the professional level, there's about 90 arenas and stadiums across the three major leagues, give, give or take 30 different places per league, right? And when you look at those, Richard, 75 of them, 75 plus have a sponsorship deal, but there's one little spotlight on Major League Baseball. 10 or 11 of the Major League Baseball stadiums do not have deals. And there's some blue blood stadiums there. You've got Wrigley Field, Fenway, Dodger Stadium, Yankee Stadium, and arguably blue bloods of the game. And, and I'm wondering, just kind of looking in the crystal ball, do you foresee anybody in that category, in that group saying, maybe let's do a sponsorship deal and, and throw a sponsor in front of Wrigley Field or on the other side of Wrigley Field in the naming as, as they kind of look to tap new revenues in, in, in the coming years? Do you, do you, Crystal Ball, do you see any of that happening? Yeah, well, well, first of all, by the way, one that you left out, which is interesting for, for all of us, is the World Series champion. The, right now, the Washington Nationals do not have a naming rights partner. It's an unnamed right. stadium. And right. do I see a change? Um, a lot of them are going to, you know, first of all, you tell me 10 in baseball, that tells me this is great. I get 10 possible deals. So I'm very <laughs> Clients, excited to hear that. Okay. Yeah, thank you. And I'm yeah. writing all this down. I'm taking all the notes and hoping. Blue ocean, listening. blue um, ocean opportunity. I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. Like it. Double, but, double my referral bonus, double my referral but, bonus from before. But I think it's always a business decision. You know, for instance, some of these uh, these parties like MSG, they don't have a naming rights partner, but they have a tremendous relationship with Chase, which as far as I'm concerned is kind of like a naming rights partner. Okay. And I think I think it's always the determination is always it's a trade-off. Uh, you know, Yankee Stadium is Yankee Stadium. There's only going to be one thing called Yankee Stadium. So they have to determine whether the revenue generation, which would be substantial, is significant enough to change the name, to commercialize it. Right. And, and again, and I think it's fair to say that the Yankees are probably not without any other sources of revenue. And so that's going to be their decision. Could that change for the Yankees or Dodgers, you know, or, you know, or Fenway Park? Of course it can. And sometimes they, they split the difference by putting a name in there that isn't necessarily commercialized. A good example is one of the deals I closed recently was for Amazon. And it's not the Amazon arena, as you know, it's the Climate Pledge arena. Yeah. So yes. you're certainly not, uh, no, well, pun intended, you're not polluting uh, the arena with, with the name Climate Pledge arena. You're actually creating a perception, you know, of, of certain quality and sustainability and stuff like that. So, yeah, there could be a change. And, you know, it's just like the people who many years ago said, I'm never going to commercialize this sport by putting names on their uniforms. How tacky. Uh, yeah. We all know about the patches and we know all about that. So, you know, things do change and people do like to get revenue. And, and by the way, it's going beyond the sporting world. I, I think it did a naming rights deal in San Francisco for the Transbase Center with Salesforce, you know, 10 years ago. Who in God's name would name a train and bus station <laughs> like that? But it was a brilliant move, and people are doing that more and more. And in the end, it's like it's kind of like you said, uh, it's a way to get focus on getting revenue. I like to think of it as sort of the low hanging fruit. It's that stuff you can grab and get a ton of money for. 
Um, so yeah, there will be changes over the years. My guess is there'll be less and less holdouts because there'll be less and less of a stigma if there is even a stigma anymore. Right. So, okay. so, so that's the professional sports areas. Uh, I believe your other question related to college, right? And the college, and let's just for our listeners um, tie back to some of our other episodes, Richard. We've talked some about uh, revenues being under pressure with with games being canceled, and you know March Madness was canceled. That cost a lot of revenue this fall. But football was potentially going to be canceled. We know that's back on, but colleges are going public with cutting teams and a lot of revenues under pressure. And and one of the things as we look to the college landscape is you've got you got stadiums named after stadiums and, and arenas named. after after coaches, after players, and then and then there's also donors, which I think would be effectively a, a business arrangement right there if there's a donor's name on the stadium or arena. But do you see that kind of the same as the professional landscape that some of those may those dominoes may fall and, and some naming deals might get done in the college landscape? Well, we've already seen a lot of that. There's been a huge proliferation of naming rights deals for major college stadiums. I did a couple of years ago Albertson Stadium, which was Boise State. Remember Boise the State. famous. Yeah. The famous blue field. Blue and so, yeah. And, and, you know, and I also worked on the, 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 the Coliseum where USC plays with United Airlines. So you already do see a lot of those changes. Okay. The only, the only difference is there's one more uh, thing that has to be considered. As you said, first of all, uh, there's the names. And you're right. If I, if, if I, if I named it after, after a donor, in my opinion, that is a naming rights deal. The right. donor pays a ton of money. Maybe it's forever, but they pay a ton of money and they get their name on it. So, But for those other things, there's a lot of considerations. Colleges don't ever want to feel like they sort of cheapened uh, the arena, that mm. they've sold out. And, you know, one of the best examples here in the Bay Area is, you know, Cal Stadium, uh, you know, Cal Memorial Stadium. You may mm. remember they did a, they were, did a naming rights deal with Kabam. But uh, oh, wow. it's no longer in place. But they couldn't. It's Cal Memorial Stadium, and they were required to keep that name Memorial Stadium. You know, you name a stadium after all those people in the service in the service to sort of and say, okay, we enjoyed calling it that. Now we're going to just switch the name. So mm -hmm. what they did is what is called a field naming rights agreement. They kept the name of the stadium, and they named the field. I think it was Cal Memorial Stadium at Kabam Field. Okay. So there are. A, so there's a lot more considerations to take place, and they have to be that much more sensitive about the types of organizations that they're willing to do because they want to make sure that whoever they associate with their university is something that will make them proud and will make people right. feel good about it rather than they sold out to this awful company you know, whose number one goal in life is to put colleges out of business. So there are more... Uh, considerations. But yes, in the end, it comes back to the early point, which is money. They need money. It's a great way to get money. And if you do it in the right way, uh, I think you can do it. You can keep the high quality and the perception of that university without feeling like a sellout. But you're talking to a naming rights guy. You know, right. maybe someone who wasn't a naming rights guy may have different feelings about it. Yeah. I I do wonder I do wonder Richard how COVID may change all of that. I mean, all a lot of schools are now reporting you know major deficit, uh, sorry deficits, right? And and I'm wondering if some of their thinking might begin to be more flexible. You know, as we go into maybe the second year of 
of them suffering some of these financial, um, you know, straits, right? But but overall, during COVID and because of COVID, the, the attendance in these venues has has come to a to a near halt. Now, you know, you said. We're all hoping that this is a kind of a, a short-term kind of thing, but you know, what are some of the immediate implications of, of that? You know, are 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 the parties you know looking for some type of you know make good and some kind of you know you know provisions in their contracts, or are they just kind of plugging along until we find a new normal? The short answer to all those questions is actually yes. Okay, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it works for everything. I mean. It's, this is a really difficult time. And by the way, add to your question, not just COVID, you know, the concept of, um, you know, paying your players and, you know, all those other things is a tremendous amount of pressure on universities and colleges to come up with enough revenue. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, whether you agree or don't agree, that players should get paid. Nobody would disagree that if you pay the players, that's less revenues for you. Yeah, and right. e- and for those people who are looking at these colleges and say, oh, my God, they're making a bundle of money, they forget that they're supporting 23 other sports events where people don't come to visit them. And so it's not just a matter of you know putting money in your pockets. So there are a lot of problems. But to your original question, COVID, um, both sides are hurting a lot now, Okay. Um, the, 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 obviously the, the colleges have gotten hurt. The players have gotten hurt. The fans don't get to games. And I think what's going on is there's a tension, um, going on between the recognition of a long-term relationship with a sponsor that could go five, 10, 20 years and not wanting to do anything to hurt that relationship on the one hand, but on the other hand, the concept that, hey, I signed an agreement with you um, and you're supposed to pay me a certain number of amount of dollars and it was not conditioned on something. If I end up overperforming for you, are you going to pay us more money? Mm. So there's a certain sense of fairness there. And Mm. I do think, uh, and and by the way, my practice is a little bit of a strange one. 50% of the people I represent are sponsors and probably 50% are stadiums and teams. So I, which means, which means, um, another legal term to go with stuff. I'm a hypocrite. Okay. Uh, It means depending on who I'm talking to, I have a very different perception in all seriousness. It just means I've got to be sensitive to both sides at all times, which I think has been helpful for me. But honestly, if you're the sponsor, your view is I don't really want to pay anything until I know what I get. But if you're the college, you're saying I'm counting on this income to pay for things and I'm willing to make you whole but I don't really want to make you whole until I see what the damage is. You know, for instance, if you agree that someone doesn't have to pay and then the next day the vaccine comes and fans are going back, then all of a sudden you're fighting for the money. So it, it really is a big tension going on between trying to make sure that the sponsor doesn't feel disrespected, but that the, that the university or the venue, professional or whatever, is still put in a place where their contractual obligations are upheld. So what happens is there's a lot of talking. There's usually a lot of compromise and, you know, which is really the best way to do it. But again, if you have a 20 year naming rights deal, do you really want to go to the mat with your sponsor and, you know, and say, look, this is what it is. I'm not going to make any changes. It's the old, you know, win the battle and lose the war concept. Mm -hmm. So I do think most people I've seen have been reasonable on both ends. 
Yeah, and the one thing that we've seen, I think, especially in the NBA, um, you know, they're putting these, you know, digital logos right on on the screen. You know, you're not seeing them in in the arena, but because of the bubble play, right? So that was kind of an interesting sort of you know make do for some of these, you know, companies. Uh, what if what if bubbles persist for another? year or, or a couple of years, right? How how does that start to play into, you know, I'm TD, I was sponsoring, you know, the, you know, the Boston Garden, right? Uh, or, or, or some other sponsor like that. Are, are, are you seeing some movement around that? I think this is sort of similar to what you were just saying. Well, here, here's my second bad pun of the conversation. Uh, at some point, the bubble will burst. Um, <laughs> I don't think that that's a long-term solution, and nobody thinks it's a long-term solution, uh, because while you are able to preserve the ability to have television exposure, both local and national, uh, those, those, those electronic figures that you see, uh, that that's not going to that's not going to help you. And remember, an awful lot of these sponsors are not just paying for the TV promotion, they're paying for the people who are going to buy their beers and buy their soft drinks and look at their products and take a tour around all of their various exhibits and stuff like that. So it was a brilliant short-term solution. And to your point, when you look at what the NFL and the NBA and other leagues have done, it's tremendous. You mentioned the NBA, but look at the NFL. They've come up with those tarps. And, 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 and how could you be any smarter? The tarps in the area that they set up to keep a social distance between the players and the fans originally are now being used to do sponsoring, which people could see on TV. So they are literally creating assets out of thin air. And that helps. And it reduces the void or the gap. But again, it's all short term. Uh, but, you know, someone else could say, Rich, if we're going to have a bubble situation for the next five years, well, then that means we're going to have a COVID situation for the next five years. And respectfully, the last thing I'm worried about is preservation of professional sports under those situations. I'm more worried about preservation of life as it exists. So uh, I believe it's short term. And if it's much, much longer term, uh, the sporting world will be in peril like so many other people will be. So again, I, you know, and, and I just refuse to believe maybe it's just my optimism, but I refuse to believe that we're going to see, you know, the third year of a bubble. Uh, I, I don't even think we're going to see the second year, I hope. Uh, but look, it's a problem. Nobody knows what to do. Uh, we live in a world in a year where nobody could have made this up. Right. Right. Are there any teams, are there any uh, parties that are doing something really interesting in these times that you think, you know, will be followed by others? Yes. And, and it's funny. One of the things I've said about the sports world and COVID, and frankly, I say that about COVID in general, is COVID hasn't necessarily changed things. I think what it's done is it's expedited things. You know, for instance, in my firm, before COVID came, people were already starting to hanker away at working remotely and come in two days a week or three days a week. And firms were already reducing their square footage and having like a WeWork type situation. COVID came and then it went to 100%. Yeah. So I, I, I think that so, – so I do think there were trends starting anyway. To your question, uh, you use an example of the Oakland Athletics um, – uh, and even the same, I guess the St. Louis Cardinals as well. There's a recognition that the current consumers of sports, particularly the young people, 
they consume it differently than you know an old guy like me. The way I, yeah, I'm, I'm one of these dinosaurs. I go to a basketball game and I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. I like to sit down and watch the game. I know how. <laughs> I know that's insane. Okay, with your phone in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not that bad. I do have my phone out usually to send emails <laughs> back and forth. But I like watching the game. But if you look at the people now. That's only a small part of it. So what have they done? I think the A's have that organ, that, that group thing, thing called the Treehouse, where within the stadium, you go to this club and you hang around and there's a bunch of TVs and you can kind of see the field. And I think the St. Louis Cardinals may, I think they were the team that closed up a whole bunch of the right field stay, uh, bleachers and made it into sort of a big lounge area. So the idea is people like to get together and, and, and once in a while watch some of the game but frankly, they know that if they missed anything, they got it on that phone anyway, and they can see the replays and all that other stuff. So that was the trend that was moving. So those p- small private suites, they were knocking down the walls of those suites and making them into big community rooms because people like that. Now, of course, there's a certain irony. That was the trend. Now along came COVID with social distancing. And what's the worst thing in the world you could do? That's right. A big room with hundreds of people in it. You know, right, now, right. at least, for I mean, if you talk about a buzzkill, you went from wanting to have these great areas where people hang out to now you can't have those great right, areas where people right. hang out. But again, on the, under the rich brand uh, temporary theory, I do believe that we will go back to the trend where people who consume sports are going to go there for the event but not necessarily the play-by-play. Yeah. And, and by the way, the Oakland A's, for, I'm using them as an example because they've been so innovative. What the Oakland A's did is they got rid of the concept of pure season tickets. You may have read about it. You pay a certain amount of money and you select 25 games or 30 games where you get seats. And the rest of them, they have sort of common areas for you to go to, recognizing that most people don't really want to sit down in seats for 81 games. So so you already do see those changes, and they're doing the same thing in basketball and football. People are much more interested in being there than necessarily watching the entire event. Not me, but yeah. I'm an aberration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, and, and actually Mike and I talked about that as a as a trend with Gen Z and how they are looking at sports totally differently, right? Exactly. If you told someone that I'm going to give you free tickets to the third row of the, of an NBA game, but you can't bring your phone, I'm wondering how many people would say, thank you right. for that offer, but I'm going to have to decline, but you know, you know, enjoy yeah. the game. I yeah. think yeah. It's such an important part of it. By the way, I would take their tickets. Yeah. There you go. Hey, Rich, I, 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 what I'd build on an angle you just surfaced, and that is for fans going for more than just what's happening on the court, um, and they want to be in and around the building. We know it's SoFi, and we know with the Chase new arena for the Warriors there in San Francisco, those proposals and those those business owners are innovative, and they've, they've built complexes out that are going to attract um, fans and just everyday consumers for 52 weeks a year and maybe 365 days a year, probably in their grandest of visions. Can you talk about what's going on with those trends? And do you see that becoming hooks to, you know, stadium deals? And, and then I guess it's impact on the rights part of that. Um, and what, what do you think about that trend? Absolutely. Uh, I, first of all, I think that is a trend. And I think it almost goes to the very first thing that Vlad and I talked about earlier about in the end, Sports is specialized real estate. 
Because when you go to SoFi Stadium, there's going to be an entertainment district and there's mm-hmm. going to be a performance venue and there's going to be lots of different areas. And as you know, Chase Center, the Warriors, not just it's not just the arena, it's all the stuff around there. Right. And you know, and, and what you find, and by the way, the first one to start it, maybe not the first, but the one we know most of about, you know, can you say LA Live, right? You had right outside you of Staples. Had Staples Center, you know, back right. in the day. And what what kind of a ridiculous idea is this? You have a stadium and then you have a bunch of restaurants and bowling alleys and things like that all around there. At the time it was very creative, still is creative, but now that's that's becoming the norm. The sports stadium arena is the anchor. It's like when you think about a shopping mall, you know, you have your anchor tenant. You need to have the arena, but what you want to do is you want to be a go-to destination uh, for anyone who goes out to SoFi Stadium. Even when there's not a game, it's mm-hmm. going to be an incredible experience. And I live in um, in Soma in San Francisco, and I can't tell you how many times I've walked by the Chase Center when there was no event just because it's a really cool area to be. You know, yeah. walking around. And so you're, you, you, you're exactly right. There is a real trend to that to make it an overall entertainment destination. Yeah. And that's a lot of it is the, the world we see. That's true. Again, back to real estate. That's true in retail. Now, nobody's going to go to just a retail store. It has to be a destination. There has to be more than buying a pair of shorts because that they could do online. So that it has to be experiential. And that's what I think is going on with these entertainment districts and these venues. The arenas are important, but they're only one part of it. They've got, you know, a lot of the arenas, like Staples is a good example. They have those restaurants and clubs open all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you get, and if you've ever been to um, in Las Vegas, uh, their new stadium, the T-Mobile Arena, they've got these fabulous mm-hmm. places to go even when there is no game going on, it's uh, right. so yeah. That is absolutely one of the big things. It's all about the experience, and it kind of goes back to the early point about sort of the young people uh, consuming sports differently. They call I, I think one of the terms I read about is grazing areas. They call them grazing areas <laughs> because people go there to graze. Right. And and when I was growing up, nobody went to a Knicks game to graze. Okay, <laughs> nobody did that. <laughs> And nobody went to a football game. We always know what happened in a football game. You park your car, you get out of your car, you take out your grill, you spend three hours, you wobble into the stadium, you watch a game, then you come back out, open up the car, uh, eat, drink, and everything. That was your football experience. If you, right. you know, that's what you did. Um, but now I think they're looking for so much more. Yeah, yeah. So to close us off, Richard, um, this is a good segue, you know, because we talked about some of the new trends, and this was one of the trends. What what are kind of some of the you know top things that you're seeing that are going to shape this industry over the next decade? Um, interesting. I, I think what you first of all, one of the things that you have to deal with is I wouldn't say that it's a shrinking pie, but I would say that the pie is being spread across across so many different concepts and venues. You know, we didn't even talk about esports. For those oh, people my. who used to who used people who used to say esports isn't a sport, well, yes it is. Yeah. And for those who said who goes to esports, the answer is everybody. Yeah. And that you can sell out, you know, they they, they had those uh, esport events in Toronto and it sold out faster than a Taylor Swift concert could ever sell out. So oh, yeah. you have all of these different assets being spread out there, you know, cricket's going to come to the US. 
So you are spreading things more thin, which means there's going to be a tremendous competition right. to make yourself the destination. Right. Um, the other thing you're, you're seeing in the trend that's going on is they have to make it worth your while. And, and what I say by that is, you know, I can watch on my 65-inch television the Rams game, okay? And I'm in my very comfortable chair. And by mm -hmm. the way, in my house, I serve beer in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't have to stop drinking. <laughs> no line so to the bathroom. I, no line. Absolutely no lines for the bathroom. And, and I don't have to park. Um, so they have to make it worth your while to get in the car, to have a line in the bathroom, to not drink beer in the fourth quarter. So I think that's what the trend is. The trend is to make it, as I said, a full experience, not just the sporting event, because the sporting event you can get pretty easily. Like I said, I love going to Lakers games and I love being in the, in, in the Staples Center. But tonight I'm going to watch on my big TV, the Lakers championship game. And, I, and it's going to look pretty good. I'm going to see everything and I'm going to be able to, you know, be able to switch channels as well. So I think that's the trend, one of the trends that we're going to be seeing. And in the business of sports, the trend is going to be competing for people's dollars, which means you have to be more creative. Sure. And I will say the sponsors that I – the best teams and arenas I've seen are the ones who are, who are proactive. Rather than wait for the sponsor to say what they want, it's that smart team, that smart marketing person on the team or stadium who looks into the company, mm -hmm. sees what they need, and makes those proposals. Like I said, the fast pass lane for the, for the Golden One Center – um, yeah. The things that because that's what you appreciate when you're on the sponsor side, you appreciate someone who knows your business and understands your business. So there is a real trend. People are going to be competing for the dollars. And whenever you compete, I think it brings up the very best uh, choices. And, and I think that's what I've been seeing a lot of. And it's been pretty interesting. Great. Richard, cool. thank you so much for your time. This is great this chat. is great, uh, great feedback, and uh, oh, we, we really Thanks appreciate it. Me. No, this was great. Uh, enjoyed it a lot, and everybody stay safe. And I look forward to seeing you guys in a stadium, uh, in a stadium with a hundred thousand people. But we may have to wait a little bit. Yeah, hundred percent. Looking forward to it. <laughs> me too. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Okay. Cheers. Thanks, Richard. Bye bye. Bye now. All right, Vlad. That was a that was a really fun chat with Richard, and and I uh, I learned a lot in there, and I, I think we both probably did. And you know, as yeah, a, as that a, was that was great. Yeah. I mean, to be able to sort of sit down with somebody and have that kind of a conversation in terms of, Absolutely. you know, if we, this is not the kind of stuff that comes out in the public a lot. So this was this was fantastic to sort of get insight from someone who's doing this every day, right? Yeah, the inner workings of a deal and 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 what what. What the different entities are thinking about. Very cool. You know, yeah, I, and 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 sorry to to interrupt you, Mike, but, yeah. but by the way, did, did you see the ads for the SoFi Arena during the the uh, NBA playoffs? What do we got? So no, they're, I haven't they're, seen them. They're actually promoting that. You know, they they have like some you know you know big time, not big time, but you know Rob Lowe is in the commercial. There are some other people who are in the commercial also, and and they're they're really <laughs> sort of showcasing, you know, how, how this is going to be, you know, new and, you know, transformative. And Richard worked on that deal. So that's, that's, cool. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. D definite intersection there of big players as you've got what NBA finals brought to us by YouTube channel owned by Google. Yes. And then Google is a big partner in SoFi. And and so, a, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly see right. See how that all ties yeah. out. No, that's cool. You know, and, and 
thought as I as I think about our chat we just had with Richard, I I, I felt like a little bit of a, a sports metaphor coming here is that where he gave us some of the fundamentals, some of the behind the scenes on how these things work, how yeah. the different parties think about value now versus how they used to, and then layered on that top layer is, is how how well how will players how will venues how will um, the companies owning the rights and then the you know the sponsor companies get the most value from these deals and that's taking advantage of trends and and creating those trends you know whether it be he pointed to the grazing areas and creating access to the building and the event maybe not to a seat uh, I, I just find that really interesting to see how that will play out yeah, it's it's very interesting. You know, my my takeaways for this was similar to yours, Mike. I think you know the the basic fundamentals of sort of sports and promotions around sports are still relevant and they're still important. Yes. But like anything else in life, they are evolving, right? And I think there is value in those partnerships. But that also comes, as he said, from you know innovations and thinking about you know what what do you you know how do you partner with your investment partner essentially right with your with your sponsor partner and and how do you give them something that is really interesting and you know unique like the fast pass that he talked about with the golden one arena in Sacramento for instance and 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 things uh-huh. like that the other takeaway for me was this industry is already aware that the younger audience is changing how sports is viewed. And we talked about this last week, right? Right. Um, it was sort of you and I just kind of riffing on some, you know, analysis that we read, but obviously, you know, he's in it. I mean, he's in it with, with both parties and they're already realizing, hey, the way you and I look at sports is very different than the way, you know, Gen Z is going to look and the younger generations is going to look at sports. We need to start thinking about this now. And, and it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, they already are. There's there's no question that is in, that that is playing out in in our homes, and we'll see how that plays out in the marketplace over this next five, ten, fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. All right, Mike. Well, I've got another come on man for you. Are you ready? It is yours this week again, and I'm amped. Let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. So in line in line with our NBA discussion. The end of the NBA Finals is also going to bring an end to a to a budding young little business in um, in Orlando. Do you know that Jimmy Butler during during the bubble uh, brought in a fancy coffee maker into the bubble <laughs> and has been selling fancy you know Good frappuccinos and americanos and lattes to his Good for to him. his to his teammates. So, you know, this is he called it Big Face Coffee, which I think comes from, you know, you know, his nickname or something like like that. But anyway, he's selling, you know, 20 bucks a cup, whether it's small, no, no, no. medium 20, or large. 20 bucks. 20 bucks a cup. 20 Come bucks on, a cup. Man. Cash only, no IOUs. <laughs> <laughs> no IOUs. No IOUs. You're not good for it? <laughs> no. No. And look, no all tab. these guys are millionaires, right? They they all they all got rows of twenties laying around, right? So <laughs> Oh my. Oh, come on, man. Jimmy yeah. Butler. Jimmy Butler. No freebies then either, I, I would suppose. No freebies. No comps. Yeah. So so what's interesting what's interesting about this, there's there's two things here. The uh video coordinator for the Miami Heat figuring that this is this coffee is too expensive, started okay. a competing business and we he went down he market. So he's of selling. He did. He's selling. He's selling drip coffee for five bucks a cup. 
So he called a little face coffee. So, <laughs> so they're they're kind of competing. Uh, but but in all in all seriousness, um, uh, Butler said, you know, he's been getting like when people got wind of this, they started sending him bags of coffee to you know try it out, and Beautiful. you know people want him to you know promote their coffee essentially. And he's actually thinking about <laughs> making this a business following the season. Oh. So we'll be we'll be we'll be watching it. But yeah, Jimmy Butler, come on, man. Come on, man. He, he might have found his, his post-retirement gig here. Uh, come on. <laughs> 20 bucks. All right. Well, Mike, another great show. Yes, sir. Mike, another great show. Yes, sir. This was fun. Um, I want to also remind everyone who is listening to us to subscribe, like us, put, a, put, put some comments about the show, tell your friends about it, tell your family about it, and uh, help us spread the news about Bottom Point Podcast. Mike? Good game. Good game, Vla. Yes, thank you to our listeners, and I look forward to uh, publishing next week's show as we keep going. Mm-hmm.